Pastor Cole does his best to try to trick me with the intro video. He brings it to this ultimate thing like I'm supposed to get up and then it goes again. Got to love dumb. Hey, we're headed to Romans 1 again this morning. <clears throat> and we started a series last Sunday called The Path to Pagan, covering verses 16 to 18. And we're going to get started in Romans 1 again today. Uh, I want to thank those of you who have already uh, given nominations for our deacons, uh, the vote that's coming in a couple weeks. And uh, some of you, I didn't even think about this last Sunday, I should kind of update you and tell you who our board of deacons and officers is so that you know who's left to nominate. Uh, so if uh, these guys are in town today, if they could stand for me, uh, Daryl Deacons is, is one of our deacons. Ironically, Daryl Deacons, the deacon. Uh, Eric Fallon is a deacon. Jim Hain is a trustee. Uh, ben Mannon is our treasurer. He's sick, by the way. Pray for him. Sid Rocklitz is a deacon. Uh, Dan Shera is a deacon. Chuck Thomas is a trustee. And Bill Vansickle is a deacon. And I appreciate those guys and their service to the Lord this year. The nomination slips around at Connection Point. Today is the last day. To nominate, and I do need to meet with the board right after the service for just a minute this morning. Uh, also, wanted to share with you <clears throat> some of you uh, guys and gals are handy with certain things, and we have a, a few projects out in this area where a playground is that really need some attention this summer. And if you would like to adopt a project, uh, the church will buy all the supplies that you need, and you just uh, bring your tools and do the work. And so I'll tell you what the three main projects are that are needed. And if you can do one of them or even more, uh, please see Pastor Cole and let him know. The first thing is our playhouse out here uh, has been well, well used. And it's missing uh, some metal bars uh, where the kids use as steps. And so some of the little kids aren't able to get up as high as they want. And some of them, you know, are falling. It's, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Uh, <clears throat> Melissa Cornwall's son broke his arm, but um, no, that was years and years ago. Yeah, that was his fault. Um, but the Playhouse definitely needs some attention, some paint, some upkeep uh, on the inside and the outside. And if that sounds like that's up your alley, please let us know. The next thing, you have to be a little more handy for this one. Uh, the actual playground equipment set <coughs> is uh, starting to come unlinked in a couple places, and it's going to take some... Uh, ingenuity and maybe some engineering to get it to where it needs to be uh, just over years of use it's kind of started to get out of source the third thing is we have gates on our playground and none of our gates close and so that seems like that could be a problem so um, if you're good with gates and fences and things like that if that could be your project we'll get all the supplies and do it at your convenience uh, usually evenings and Saturdays are best because we don't have kids out there but we would even work around that if we needed to according to your schedule so thank you for your interest in that and we appreciate all of you so much we're going to go into Romans 1 and I want to read, read uh, starting at verse number 16 again <clears throat> and then we're going to add two more verses to it this morning so here we are Romans 1 and we're starting in verse 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, 
is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We said last week that there are some things that God has clearly revealed to the human race through his creation. And so much can be known about God that no person may use lack of knowledge as an excuse for his crimes. Uh, There will always be people who say, I can't believe in God because I've never seen him. Or I don't know enough about him to trust him with my life. Uh, But I want to prove to you that that point is completely disingenuous. Okay, Think about this. Those same people fly on airplanes piloted by people they never see or meet. They take prescriptions packed by people they never see or meet. They drive in cars built by people they never see or meet. They eat food prepared or packaged by people they never see or meet. Uh, No, they don't see or know the pilot, but they trust him enough to fly them to Seattle. And no, they don't know the pharmacist, uh, but they trust her enough to ingest the medicine she packaged. And uh, no, they don't know the assembly line team that built her vehicle, but apparently they trust them enough to drive the car down the road. And they don't see or know the person who made and packaged their Twinkies, but they still eat them, right? Up to 13 years later. Or is it 12 years? I'm not sure. And they say, well, this is a much bigger decision. I need to know more. And today we're going to show you directly from God's word that he has provided everything we need to know to have simple faith in him. And so here we go now into the message. And the notes are right in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Pastor Cole even updated the blanks for you where they're in white. And so it's going to work even better. I saw some people who were just pumped up about that at church today. Things to be excited about in the summer. All right, here we go. First part of our message today, revealing what is knowable. Revealing what is knowable. Verse number 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. Let's say it again. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. So it's immediately evident from this verse that God doesn't believe in atheists. That's exactly what we see from this verse. God says that atheists do believe in him. But they suppress that truth in themselves enough to believe that they don't believe in him. Should I say it again? They suppress that truth in themselves enough to believe that they don't believe in God. Now we talked about it last week. It's at the end there, uh, verse number 18. They hold the truth down. They hinder the truth. They stop the truth from moving. And that's what happens. Now, there are some big inconsistencies in this entire thought process. Take the atheist university professor that says in class that human beings are just chemical accidents 
that came about through a long process of mutations by evolution. Humans aren't meaningful. They are just blobs of accidental mass. That's what he says in class. But the same professor goes home and kisses his wife and hugs his kids like they are valuable, irreplaceable people worthy of love. And God forbid that something bad happens to a member of his family, he grieves deeply for that person. That's inconsistent with what he says he believes. Okay, so what it means is his belief has confusion. Because he's saying he believes one thing, but he's practicing something totally different. Water, water, I prepared this week. All right. Here we go. Uh, Or take the atheist who watches the news at night, and she sees there's been a murder or a crime or rape in the community, and she is outraged. And uh, she wants that murder to be caught and punished. And yet, in her professed worldview, why should she be angry? Because in an atheistic evolutionary worldview, where people are just animals... Murder is no different than a lion killing an antelope. It's just survival of the fittest. Why get upset about something that's supposedly just a chemical accident? I mean, do we get upset when baking soda reacts with vinegar? Now, my friend, Brother Sidney White, brought up a good point after church last Sunday. He's up here talking with me. He said, you can't really believe in humanistic evolution, and also believe that bad people should go to jail. What are you talking about? He said, well, well, why would you punish murderers and thugs if evolution has progressed through survival of the fittest? We should just let those survivors do whatever they want to do without judgment or punishment, right? Because that would be survival of the fittest. Uh, It'd be like whoever survives out of this room of people, that's who was meant by accidental mutations to survive. Right? It's a natural selection of nature. And so that's a really good point. See, right and wrong, here's what I'm trying to get to, and I hope you'll get this. Right and wrong cannot be delivered through the evolutionary model. Morals cannot be passed down through a cosmic accident. They can't. Now, we must all admit that many things about God and the universe are unknowable. They can't be known. Nobody, no matter what they say, nobody knows, except God, exactly how many people are on the planet. Now, we can only make educated guesses. Nobody knows exactly how many chipmunks live in Idaho. Nobody knows. And nobody knows how many flies live on a dairy farm. But I used to live on a dairy farm, and my first guess is a lot. Nobody knows how many dandelions grow in certain neighborhoods. We can't know the exact number of stars. In fact, the educated guesses have changed drastically over the centuries. 400 years ago, Johannes Kepler said that there may be as many as one million stars. 
And now astronomers tell us that there are hundreds of billions of stars just in our own galaxy. And there are hundreds of billions of other galaxies. I love how Genesis 1.16 says this about God on the fourth day of creation. It said he made a greater light and a lesser light. And then it says he made the stars also. Don't you like that? He made the stars also. You know, there is a star, not that far away, actually, it's just, you know, a couple hundred million light years away. It's not that big of a deal. If we put it up on the screen, right up there, I could not go up to the screen and make a pencil point on the screen that would represent the size of the earth. That's how big that star is. Okay? You guys didn't get it? If the earth, Louis Giglio says, were the size of a golf ball, you could cover the entire state of Texas with golf balls 22 inches high, and earth would represent one of the golf balls. That's how big that star is. Okay? And uh, there are stars that we don't even know about that are out there that are just so massive, you can't be comprehend their billions of times as big as our sun. God is so immense. And he has made such an incredible creation. And there are an infinite number of things that we can't know about God and that we can't know about the universe. But don't miss this. God only holds mankind accountable for what can be known. Okay, God doesn't hold us accountable for what we can't know. God isn't going to be judging babies on their choices between good and evil. God isn't going to be judging those who lack the mental capacity to understand the implications of right and wrong. He holds us accountable for what can be known through the general revelation of creation. Now look again at the first part of verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, clearly and openly shown. That's what manifest means here. That which may be known of God is clearly and openly shown in us, in humanity. And that's what we deal with in this second part. Reasoning and conscience for all. Okay, that's the second part. Reasoning and conscience for all. All right, I'm going to ask you some hard questions here. Yeah, let's see if anybody gets them right. Okay? How many of you have ever seen reasoning? All right, how many of you have ever seen conscience? Uh, how many of you have ever seen logic? What's your problem? Are these things not real? See, we, we can see results of these, but they're invisible, right? That is how people say, I've never seen God. Have you ever seen the wind? I've never seen the wind, but I've seen things carried by the wind. Uh, when I was a kid, they used to go show us at the tornado deal, because uh, we had to go, you know, there were tornadoes all the time. You had to go get in shelter and cover your head. And they'd always bring in this board uh, from a tree 
where a, a piece of straw was blown into a board at over 200 miles an hour by a tornado, and a piece of straw was in that board. That's incredible, the power of the wind. Well, you've never seen the wind. You've never seen all of these things. And, and uh, these things are immaterial, they're universal, they're abstract entities. Uh, you can't stub your toe on logic. But logic works on every continent and every place. And it deals with concepts that come from the amazing minds given to us directly by God. Laws of logic come directly from God's sovereign nature. And that's why all true statements are governed by God's thinking. And we understand that. We know logic. Now, now most pagans profess to believe only in a materialistic worldview. Okay? Only what we can see and touch, that's all that's real. And yet, they use reasoning, logic, conscience, emotions, and artistry in making their arguments. Now, those things are all immaterial. Uh, you can't pull a law of logic out of the refrigerator. Right? You can't order a piece of logic at the drive-thru at McDonald's. Uh, the very fact that the pagan is able to reason demonstrates that his own worldview is wrong. But once again, the humanist, the progressive, the atheist must be totally inconsistent with his own worldview to use God-given logic while denying the biblical God that makes logic possible. Reasoning and conscience are evident in human beings. God has made people capable of seeing and investigating his works. And, and arguing this point only proves it further. Now, to argue against Romans 1, you have to use reasoning given to you by God. And you have to deny the conscience given to you by God. John 1.9 says, uh, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. As we saw last week, the first step on the path to Pagan is holding down the truth that has already been revealed by God. And that's what a lot of people do. Jesus, uh, he was the light that lighteth every man, and yet Jesus himself said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And that's why people don't want to know God. And so we deal with this topic of reasoning. Now I want to go further in the passage to verse number 20. For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. We'll get to the last phrase in just a minute. Let's talk about the third part, recognizing God's attributes. Recognizing God's attributes. Our universe exhibits all the effects of an uncaused cause. Okay, and we'll explain what that all means in a second. For creation to take place, a creator had to have already been on the scene. And therefore, that creator must be eternal and exalted above all. Now, we can't know everything about the origin of the universe. I'll tell you why. Because only God was there. And God uh, is not going to reveal all of it to us. 
Because we're too limited in understanding to begin to comprehend it. But God has given us enough to clearly see him as creator. When I walk into a room and I see chocolate chip cookies on the table, I can assume safely that there was a baker. Okay? Now, how many of you think it would be absurd to think that those cookies are a result of ingredients that have been accidentally mutated and then randomly baked? Right? You go into the house, you smell fresh chocolate chip cookies, and you go over to the counter, like, honey, did you, did you make cookies today? You didn't know. The weirdest thing happened. I heard a noise in the kitchen, and I came down there, and like these eight ingredients had exploded into a bowl and flew into the oven on a cookie sheet, and somehow the oven came on and lit them up, and then the oven flew open, and they flew back on the counter, and voila. And you would say, let me see if you have a fever. You would say, do I need to call your doctor? You would say, there's a special hospital for you. We say a lot of things, right? Check this out. Please check this out. The evolution of a single molecule creature is thousands and thousands of times more advanced than chocolate chip cookies making themselves. Because every living creature on this earth uh, has this quality that it is irreducible. Okay? It can't, it's kind of like you say, okay, uh, there's a, take the giraffe. Okay? Everybody like giraffes. You guys like giraffes? Giraffes, big, tall, got the big, long neck. Giraffes have this thing that only a few animals on the earth have, the ones with big, long necks. Uh, it has a special blood uh, sphincter, if you will, or, or control uh, in the base of its neck. Because when it puts its head down, if it doesn't have blood regulated, its brain immediately explodes. Right? If it didn't have this, this filter in its neck, when it put its head down, now there's so much blood running to it that its brain just explodes. Okay, and, um, and so what evolutionists tell us is that over time, the giraffe was developed. It's impossible. There's no way it could happen over time because every single giraffe who started to grow a longer neck, when he put his head down the first time, he was a goner. There was no way that said giraffe could reproduce a mutation that would make a sphincter in his neck to control blood. Just cut into a, cat, a head of cabbage and look at it. There's a God. Now just look at it. Irreducible complexity says that there's no living creature that could only live with part of its parts. It's kind of like you, right? Say, okay, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take your brain and you're going to live with just a heart and lungs and kidneys until your brain evolves. Now, we've said that to teenagers a few times, but, I mean, that's pretty far-fetched. And, um, like, or you say, you know what? You have a brain 
And we're just going to wait around until your heart evolves. And we're going to wait till you get a liver. And we're going to wait till you get kidneys. You are irreducible complex. You have complexity that can only be made by God. And it is God's logic that tells us that these things couldn't happen. You can't have a painting without a painter. No one thinks that a building got built without a builder. It's obvious that a watch has a watchmaker. And it's obvious that to have law, there must have been a law giver. Whether we're talking about the laws of morality, or the laws of science, or the laws of mathematics, or the laws of logic. Now, the pagan, as I already told you before, cannot account for the existence of the law of logic. Because he can't explain how logic is immaterial, it's universal, it can't change over time. And he also can't explain how humans know about the laws of logic in the first place. His worldview has no explanation for any of this. Folks, the biblical God has to exist for any of this to even be possible. The best proof of God's existence is this. This is a great sentence. Without him, we couldn't prove anything at all. Now, this is called the transcendental argument for God. Some people call it the TAG, the TAG. If we didn't have God, we couldn't prove anything at all. Proving God exists is as logically sound as anything there is. It's logically sound in every way. But that does not mean that your pagan friends will be persuaded. Because there is a big difference between proof and persuasion. Proof is objective. It doesn't change. But persuasion is subjective. And pagans are strongly motivated not to believe in the biblical God, who is rightly the judge of unrighteousness. Now, here's what I'm trying to get to. The pagans' denial of God, or the atheists, or evolutionists, or humanists, the denial of God is not a logical issue. It's not a reasoning issue. It's not a scientific issue. It is 100% an emotional and spiritual issue. When our five-year-old girl, Sophie, gets in trouble, which is quite often, and she's about to be disciplined, uh, she could look at me and say, Dad, you don't exist. Now, she actually would be one of the people who would say it. I mean, she, she would actually do that. Dad, you don't exist. But that's not rational. That's emotional. People don't deny God because of logic. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. His sovereignty and deity are obvious. We are obviously created beings in a created universe. This is a no-brainer logically, but not emotionally and not spiritually. For those who've taken the path to pagan. Their emotions and spiritual darkness fill them with excuses why there's no God. 
or why they won't follow God. And so the end of verse 20 is so big because at the end of verse 20, God preemptively takes away all human excuses. So here we go. Look at verse 20 again. The invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Last part of the message, removing all excuses. Removing all excuses. God has already judged the excuses of those who deny him in advance. Okay? God's already made it clear. And he made it clearly known that those who refuse to acknowledge him are not educated, reasoned, advanced intellectuals. Those who refuse to acknowledge him are either willing or ignorant fools. Now, God said it, not me. Don't get mad at me. God said the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. And we're going to find out about the process of paganism next week that willing fools or even ignorant fools take. Uh, But I want you to look at the work of God's law as it's written on our hearts. Look at Romans 2 for just a second. Look at Romans 2. All right, look at verse number 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. You know, people groups who have never been given God's law exhibit the laws inherent in human conscience. That those groups, all, every group on earth, the indigenous people that have never seen any other groups, they all call something right and something wrong. They accuse some people. And they excuse some people because God's law is written on every heart so that they are without excuse. Now, I have to admit this is hard to swallow. When we think about the people who have never heard the truth, they've never heard the name Jesus that we sang about this morning. They've never heard the gospel. It's natural to wonder how they could possibly be held accountable for their sins. Right? And there have been books written on that topic. It's as deep as it gets. As you follow Romans, because this is the first chapter, uh, you, you'll understand that this foundation of doctrine about sin is followed by the cure for sin. God commendeth his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, God has given the redeemed a powerful and great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You may say, Pastor, if everybody has God's law written on their hearts, why are we sent to take the gospel? I'll tell you why. Because sin confuses conscience. Because sin eventually sears conscience. Because people on the path to pagan are loved by God, even though they're confused about God. And whether willingly or ignorantly, they're holding down the truth, pushing away from the light. And the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Whether he's a churchgoer or a pagan. Whether he is religious or atheistic. Whether she's open to God's truth or hardened by God's truth. God so loved the world, all the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That goes for me and you and everyone. No matter how far from God they've gotten. The Bible still says this. One of my favorite verses. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And, and you can't get outside of God's grace. Now let's put this all together with today's big truth. Because I know we've covered a lot. And we're going, we're going deep in this series. I tried to warn you last week. We're going deep. And some of you are just like you got your shovel out because you, you're getting too deep. Here's today's big truth. This is so important. There's no way that anybody could say this better than the psalmist said it. He already said it. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And if you don't walk out on a starry night and think, wow, the creator did something incredible. It's only because you don't want to acknowledge him. God says, I didn't say it, don't get mad at me. God says everybody knows there's a creator. Everybody who's reached some type of mental capacity of right and wrong knows there's a creator. They know it. It's in them. It's manifest in them. If you love to see butterflies and hummingbirds and flowers, but they don't ever draw you toward the creator, it's because you don't want to know him. If you're in love with creation, but you can't stand the thought that God's the one who made it all, it's because you are hindering the truth in yourself. Denying the existence of God is not a logical move. It is an emotional, spiritual move that is made by those who don't want to be accountable to God. It's like your kid saying, Dad, you don't exist, so I can't be grounded. Dad, you don't exist, so you can't take away the keys to the car. Right? 
Mom, you don't exist, so I can eat as many candy bars as I want. That's the same philosophy. Every person who ever reaches the mental capacity to understand the reality and the implications of right and wrong will be accountable to the creator for this knowledge. And, And God says clearly they are without excuse. So naturally, today's faith challenge asks this question. What excuses are you making for not committing your heart to Jesus? If no excuse will work with God, today is a great time to think over those excuses you might be making for not fully giving Jesus control of your life. Not enough knowledge of God. It's not going to work. The church people were hypocrites. Won't work. Well, I just have my own way of practicing religion. Won't work. Well, I really feel like God will just let everybody into heaven. It's not going to work. I'm basically a good person. Won't work. If you have an excuse, if you have something that's holding you back from yielding your life to Christ, today's the day to take all excuses off the table. God isn't allowing you to hear this truth today because he's angry with you. He wants you to hear it because he loves you. He loves you beyond comprehension. Romans 8 describes God the Father this way. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And now, right now, you could take your excuse of why you won't give God your heart, and you could bring it to the foot of his cross, and Jesus will cover you with his righteousness for all eternity. You know, my prayer is, through this series, that all the people who are under the sound of my voice here would take their excuses and bring them to the cross. And that we would then be watchful for opportunities to share the good news with the people around us. Because there's no getting around Romans 1. Sometimes we get so immersed by the propaganda that this progressive world pushes on us. And the humanism and the evolutionism and all the things that get just thrown on us. And we begin to sort of think sometimes, well, I don't know. Believing in God's pretty complex. And it's not just for the average person. Hogwash. Yeah, I said hogwash at church. I'm sorry, Brother Tilford, that I offended you. <laughs> He's got hogs. He's got hogs. It's an old southern statement. It's actually probably a Christian cuss word, so I probably shouldn't say it. But (laughs) You know, for anybody to think believing in God is just so far out complex, that that's why people don't understand that, they're missing the whole point. Jesus said, unless you come to me with the faith of a child, you can't believe. I promise you that a child knows who made the chocolate chip cookies. And he's going to go back to that same place again and again and again. And beware, if you're one of those people people in church, one of you seasoned saints who gives out candy to little kids, don't give any to my daughter because she will come to you every single Sunday. 
Okay, kids are not dumb. They know the source of stuff. They know where to get the goods. But then we get all educated. We go to university. And we hear from the doctors of philosophy who have figured out the microbiology, atomic, cosmic uh, rules of the universe. And their cosmic rules have told them that there couldn't possibly be a God. And you know what they ought to do with their cosmic rules? I can't say that at church either. <laughs> Romans 1, it's so clear. Creation of the world's clearly made evident by God. Everybody knows there's a creator. And in your heart, have you ever said to the creator, I want to know you back. You did all this just so you could have relationship with me. Let's bow together.